Well, shall we do it? Shall we, shall we just shall do, we do, do it? a goddamn podcast? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels... Uh, Reductive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Big Diva Energy, a podcast largely about people being fucking extralent. I'm Holly Morgan, and my husband Tom is also here. Come the revolution! And in a break <laughs> from what we said we were going to do. So before um, the world ended, we were going to be talking about the Williams sisters today. But we thought with the mechanics of Helen and Anna being a double act, it was just going to be too many factors with Skype and stuff and the vibe was not going to flow. So we have chosen a different topic and we have a different guest and I am absolutely thrilled to tell you more about them because we have something of a a royal flush. Because our topic today was hatched in an underground lair from a reptilian host by the name of Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, fertilised by another approximation humanoid by the name of George Sachs Cobra Gotha. Our subject is indeed subject to a fractionally older reptilian who goes by the humanoid name of Elizabeth. Amongst her other non-achievements, our subject colonised the island of Mystique, forming a dictatorship which largely revolved around providing her with a steady stream of young men and booze. We will, of course, be discussing none other than reprehensible yet fabulous Princess Margaret. And with us to discuss Peggy Windsor is the one true queen of Scottish jazz and cabaret. Unlike Princess Margaret, our guest has been keen to shuck off the title she was born with, Katrina MacLeod, preferring to work towards becoming financially independent in a new progressive role which sees her freed from palace constraints, allowed to earn an income and to promote her causes while also continuing to honour her duty to the Queen, the Commonwealth and her patronages, or honour her duty to jazz, cabaret and gin. A regular at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, she debuted her first show in 2015 to five-star reviews. Her second solo show, Wayward, saw her first collaboration with Edinburgh-based blues collective The Blues Water and her most recent solo apocalypse cabaret, To the End of the World, seemingly very prescient now, (laughs) won a Vault Festival Origins Award for Outstanding New Work in 2018. We are thrilled to bow down and pledge allegiance to the one, the only, my cabaret wife, Cat Loud! Hello, darling. Darling. With us via Skype link. Yeah. She's looking regal. <laughs> She's wearing a tiara, visual medium, oh. that's commitment. We'll pop some photos on the Twitter account. Um, <laughs> but it's a really weird setup here right now. It is. It is. Surrounded I mean, by gin bottles. Though. pods are the way of the future and also as an introvert, an absolute lifeline. So <laughs> Absolutely. Here we are. Here we are. Should we just summarise for the listeners what we're all drinking? Great, yeah. Well, I've been drinking since 10.30, which I think is what Margaret would have wanted. It is. Um, Nay, encouraged. So I started on fizz, and I'm continuing Amazing. on fizz. <laughs> um, you know, after after a little Bailey's at lunch, I feel like that was a good sort of dip. <laughs> like a little palate, palate cleanser of some Bailey's. The pair of tea. Yeah. 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 A little dip. Sort, of, sort of lunch dessert. Yeah. Nice. I've gone for a gin and tonic. I've gone for a vodka tonic. tonic. Yeah. Oh. 
She had a vodka pick me up, didn't she, at the midday? Yeah. Not Kat, Margaret. No, no, Margaret. Um, <laughs> Bailey's yes. for Kat. So we're going to loosely follow um, in our drinking Margaret's rules, I think, here, which is basically drink what you want when you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, but before we get to her, let's we'd love to ask you the questions that we ask everyone. Please, yes. please. <laughs> Cat loud. I will always <laughs> love you. I also have a question. Uh, who is your ride or die diva? Who's your number one? Oh, well, I think quite a lot about um, what the word diva means. Yeah. Mm. I say think quite a lot. I mean, now more than ever, because <laughs> I've got nothing else to do. Um, and I don't, I don't know who would classify. Mm. Um, because I feel like, I mean, if, if we're talking, if we're talking as in divas who have given a lot to the world in terms of legacy and yeah. also been extra. Yeah. Um, then I I would absolutely have to say Billie Holiday. Oh, mm. yes. I mean, as, you know, an inadvertent civil rights activist and also someone who kind of drank, smoked and partied her way through life, <laughs> I, would have to, I would have to say Billie Holiday. Yeah, great um, choice. Yeah. Although she's not necessarily synonymous with the, the joy that divadom comes with normally. Yeah. No, that's true. Mm. Yeah. But she's, um, yeah, a great choice. Absolutely iconic. All good divas, though, have a sad end of the spectrum to yeah, their tale. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Friend of the pod, Rich Hawkins, Rich's bitch, mm. once told me that all gay icons uh, have a hint of tragedy. They have to. Mm. Don't know yeah. why. It's, it's not that, I mean, when I talk about her, and I have often in... in my work I try really really hard though not to fall down the hole of damsel in distress oh what a sad miserable life because I think she had a great time yeah I think she had a very I mean she she was such a generous friend and she you know she was well known for taking people into her house and feeding them and and being a good friend and she had a, a, a godson and there's great recordings of her in rehearsals and she's telling her godson to sing and they're having like an argument about he doesn't want to sing he's something he's three or something like that there's just this lovely you know family oriented edge to her that I really really love um all and I I think we'll touch on it as well a bit with Margaret Mm. there's an element as well of of just life unfulfilled with her yeah in terms of you know she really wanted a family and she really wanted the picket fence family mm. and, and life and never never had it and her I mean her legacy is is she's you know one of the first great jazz vocalists ever yeah she 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 gave the human voice a place in jazz in a way that no other singer ever has that, and that's a very bold statement that's a very uh I love it. We're all about bold statements. (laughs) But yeah. Go bold or go home. Yeah. Or stay home. I think that's really interesting though. Like, yeah, she's a a trailblazer and that needs to be, you don't have, you're not following a rule book when you're writing it. So maybe some of her behavior, which we might have been uh, written off in certain ways. Again, also potentially the cliche stereotype of the the angry black woman as well. She probably came in for a lot of um, stereotyping regarding that and a lot of her behavior written off as something that was perceived to be unacceptable because yeah. she was challenging and breaking new ground. Yeah. There, I mean, there are also a couple of great diva moments that are kind of legendary about her. And oh, one is me. that um, 
venues would prohibit the singing of Strange Fruit and she would just knock on the piano and say, we're singing it now. <laughs> and she would she would just do it because people wanted to hear it and she wanted to sing it. And there's another great, great story. Um, I mean, she, she believed that she was hounded by narcotics agents because of her relationship to that song. Wow. Because it was such a powerful protest against the Jim Crow laws. Mm. And she was um, arrested in San Francisco, I think it was 1949, on a drugs charge that she was acquitted of because apparently the drugs were planted in her room. Um, And one of the first songs that she recorded after that very, very high-profile case is um, Ain't Nobody's Business, (gasps) which is basically a song that says, I'm going to do what I want and it's nobody's business. It doesn't matter what you think (laughs) about me, it doesn't matter what you say about me, I'm going to do what I want. And I... If you listen to that song and just remember that this was a woman who was in the papers all the time and sensationalized all the time. Yeah. And her only crime was that she had the audacity to be a rich, successful black woman. Mm. And then she sings this song about just having this freedom. I just think she's wonderful. Incredible. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love and that. And she, she, wore, she wore full furs and uh, sunglasses in court. <laughs> Like I am now. Yeah, like Tom is like, right now. <laughs> like we all would. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. In times of strife. Court mandatory fur. <laughs> yeah. yeah, standard issue fur. <laughs> okay, if I could turn back time, what diva Ooh. would you send into what historical situation? Barbara and the Boer War. Oh, so I've, I've got two. Oh, good. Um, and I realised that I think I'm I think I might have an obsession with royalty through the ages. Oh. Because the, the first and I don't know why. I don't know why. Um the first one I thought was I think Freddie Mercury would fare very well in the court of Marie Antoinette. Oh. Um Wouldn't he just oh, he'd, he'd thrive. I think he would just lean in to <laughs> to the fashion and oh. and the ferocity of of manners, shall we say? Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily mean Versailles. I mean the little village that she built at the end of the garden for her sex parties. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I think that's where Freddie really belongs. Maybe that's where he is. <laughs> <laughs> After all, like Tupac. I mean, <laughs> well, that's why I'm, I'm going to self isolate. <laughs> Yeah. Let them eat cocaine. Down at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> There's a sex party with cocaine. <laughs> and a bunch of little people. She <laughs> built it as a replica French village, so it looks like somewhere where peasants would live, but obviously she's like, ha ha ha, Amazing. So, I, think Fred, I think Freddie would just do it so much justice. Oh, he really would. Um, and then I think only a matter of time before he mounted a production of Beauty and the Beast. How old are we? That's the musical that we, we have sadly been denied. Absolutely. Mm. It's the one we deserve. Or, or, you know, the Scarlet Pimpernel or something like that. Oh, yes. Do you remember, have you seen that film with um, Jane Seymour and Anthony Andrews? Scarlet Pimpernel. That's one Probably. for yourself, isolation. I used to watch the TV program in the nineties. Is that yeah that's with not Richie the same. Grant? No, it, no. Was, it was Richie Grant, was it? Yeah, no, th- that one is the, the Anthony. Um, is that, is that, I mean, the guy from um, from Brideshead. His camp is fucking tits. It's so great. <laughs> it's got Jane Seymour in it. <laughs> Jane Seymour in it. I mean, Freddie Mercury and Doctor Quinn Medicine. Amazing. It? Is that another option? <laughs> <laughs> 
rep for Saga now. What? Jane, Jane Seymour. What, Saga? Saga, like holidays for older people. You know oh. holidays in the before times when we were allowed to go from our home? No. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Don't remember. <laughs> they used to let old people, A, leave their home and B, go to other places. Huh. Um, that and, seems very dangerous given the virus. Yeah, I know, but this was the before. Before the virus? Before <laughs> 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 Amazing. BC, what was your... Before Corona. Very, oh my God, <laughs> literally BC. Uh, who was your other historical diva? She's just topping up her shoes. I, I just think Catherine Hepburn as uh, an advisor to Elizabeth I. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I could try. Her accent's really difficult. I can only really do Kirsten Wig doing Catherine Hepburn. Let's hear it. She's got this great, this is great SNL skit where it's a Halloween party and she, she brings a, a, a gift and it's, it's a tree. I cut it down by myself in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's Katie's Corner. Do you know Katie's Corner? Okay, oh. it's an amazing um, drag performer whose name has escaped me. I will just briefly look it up. Um, so Katie's Corner, it's things like um, Catherine Hepburn boiling an egg. An egg! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Terrific! Let me have it a just sounds like everything's very important and a PSA and just stay <laughs> indoors, everybody. <laughs> exactly. I'm looking her up. Her name is the real Alexandra Billings. Look her up on Instagram. Ooh. An amazing drag queen who does Catherine Hepburn. Mm. Incredible scenes. Okay. Material girl, what's on your rider? I mean, at the moment, just Cavan paracetamol. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's probably the, dis- the solvable ones. <laughs> so you can stick them in one and the other. In a post-stockpiling world, yeah. Rider. Even in, even in the past. I mean, Uh-oh. just not a cupboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a storage bunker. I, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've, I've, I've had some very luxurious venues. And by luxurious, I mean a table with... <laughs> With a lamp on it, um, and I've had some absolute shockers. But I, you know, I I grew up with community theatre and doing everything in you know the village hall, yeah, where we get changed in the downstairs bit that was both the Taijutsu studio and the home gym and where we used to vote and also where people would have coffee morning. Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> all-purpose venues yeah. that every village has yeah. i love so, them so after after that i just i don't ex- i expect nothing <laughs> and deserve and deserve everything so. <laughs> Mate, now that is diva 101 <laughs> <laughs> also expect everything yeah. <laughs> okay who runs the world who's getting the codes i mean we ev- again and again and i texted this to you <laughs> Like, Beyonce, obviously. And if I get my standard issue Ivy Park jumpsuit in the post tomorrow, I won't be mad about it. (laughs) (laughs) Can I make a bid for Solange in another senior role? So maybe Solange is like VP? Yeah, or or arts commissioner. Great. I feel like if if Solange was the artistic director of the world. Yeah, or head of the military. Or, or yeah. She's not afraid to get in there. Would Jay-Z have a role or could he just be, you know, honorary first? first? Ha-ha! That's my Jay-Z. <laughs> Give us it again. Ha-ha! <laughs> Why does he sound like an aristocrat coming up with an idea or a plan? 
<laughs> to be honest, I've never ever done my Jay Z out loud before. I just know he says ha ha. Uh, but it's also very similar to the Will Smith one, which is woo ha ha. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think there's room for Jay-Z to have a role, but I think it should be um, subordinate. Yes. Yeah. Course. Maybe maybe childcare for the twins and uh, and Blue Ivy. <laughs> like, I don't even think he'd have jurisdiction there, to be honest. <laughs> no. <laughs> what about a friend of the pod, Tina Knowles? Because obviously Ivy Park will be doing the designing. What will Tina do? Oh, Tina. Coffee warnings? I mean, I, but I also feel like Beyonce would be, um, she wouldn't give public addresses. I feel like she would yeah. do everything through surrogates. That's so maybe true. Tina Knowles is just a surrogate. <laughs> she's nice. a host. She, she's on Fox News. <laughs> she was in a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that what we call mothers now, the hosts. They did say they gave birth to Beyonce. <laughs> also, you definitely know that Paul Michelle would get put in like the Department of Social Affairs and Citizenship or something <laughs> like that. Parks and Rec. <laughs> like Ben Carson she's Department of Housing yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> she'd get assigned somewhere that's basically like a hospital pass but... <laughs> poor Michelle poor Michelle now she's manning the phones in the corner of Michelle <laughs> right <laughs> she's doing the equivalent of like RSVP like <laughs> trying to sell some insurance um, have you administrative, administrative support anyway yeah admin support absolutely That's deputy head of yeah. admin support deputy head of <laughs> Michelle Williams deputy head of admin support and her senior <laughs> is Michelle Williams the actress <laughs> <laughs> in role as Anne Verdon <laughs> it's finally her time <laughs> now Kat have mm. you have you Ever been a diva? Hmm. Oh yes. <laughs> <sighs> there is one moment that I look back on and I cringe because I feel like I was diva in a cruel way. Okay. And there is one thing I look back on that okay. was diva and it was the making of me. Oh amazing. Let's hear both and of I'll, them. I'll start with the cruelty. Mm-hmm. Um I had one fringe that was particularly hard. <laughs> Of all, of everything, of you know everything, mm. it was, um, and I don't mind saying this because, you know, honesty and also drinking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I worked at a venue, and there were a couple of instances where, like, I I'd heard through friends that the box office staff were shit mouthing my show to people trying to buy tickets for it. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, which may have only have happened once, but once is enough. Once so is I too was, many times, yeah. Yeah, I was a bit furious about it. And then the show was running late because the previous show got out late, which is just how it is. That's the way it and is, I, yeah. And I realised that this, the sole had come off my shoe mm. um, and there was no time to do anything. And uh, I did snap my fingers at the sound technician and say, I need LX tape now. Um, <laughs> and bless him, he he, he got it too sweet. Uh, <laughs> and I fixed my shoe, but I don't think I ever apologised for being um, a high-strung bitch about it. Right. And I, I do sometimes think about that and think, that's the only impression he has of me. Oh. But there were many factors involved and yeah, but I, I feel really bad about that. It was kind of like um, 
how Cruella Deville would treat an underling. <laughs> I felt afterwards, I felt really, really bad about it. But we are getting an origin story for Cruella this year, which will probably put into context her bad fringe, where she'd been out all day, being told she was a cunt by people on the Royal Mile. Mm. Uh, she'd, you know, remortgaged several homes in order to be able to do it. And she'd just come to the end of a tether. Yeah. Was contemplating the overdraft to pay for everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, to be honest, he's probably seen worse. And yes, it, it, it you know, that's not you on a day basis. You're not a finger clicky, I need this person at all. Um, but he'll have met worse. It was, it was, you know, as someone who has worked in hospitality for yeah. a long time, the finger click is just commonly known as the worst etiquette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the finger click is pretty low. Is is yeah. So uh, as a as a loaded gesture, yeah, um, I am aware of its its um, effects, intended or otherwise. So, Absolutely. Yeah, but that's hence why you thing. deployed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she knew that her leg tape, her so her shoe was falling apart. She knew she'd get it. She need her pumps. <laughs> she said it's not going to work. You're not zipping her shoes up. Give them back. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I think you are karmically forgiven. Okay. There you go. I hope so. There we go. Um, I think when you put um, it out there like that, it's yeah, yeah. That's that's how it works. That's a new power I've given myself in the after. Um, oh, I yeah. can I can redress wrongs. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, listeners of the pod will um, be jury, judge, and executioner on that Absolutely. as well. I feel like there um, might be a few listeners of the pod who thought you were talking about a bad haircut as well when you said about the fringe. So <laughs> yeah. We may the, have lost The blessed some. few that <laughs> do not know. <laughs> who do not speak self-employed performer. Um, <laughs> and when was the other time that you, you were a fabulous diva? What was the one that made well, you, yeah? Well, Holly Morgan... It was the night we met. <gasps> when we fell in love. Yeah. Oh. And, um, and uh, I was doing Vault Festival for the first time. The Sunday evening performance um, that had sold out. Uh, I had friends who'd come down to London from the west coast of Scotland oh. to see the show. Uh, I was really excited. It was about half an hour to curtain up. And I was looking around thinking, hmm, uh, my musician's not here yet. Um, that's quite uh, interesting. Um, and it got to showtime and he still hadn't arrived. So I had to uh, make the decision to either cancel or just get on with it. Uh, and I did. And oh my gosh, I did, you did. Um, the, the whole show a cappella with just an empty piano sitting next to me. And I think it was probably the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And I remember you, you said at the end, <laughs> did he really not? I thought, I thought the musician was just a conceit. Really? I genuinely did. It was absolutely electric. Unbelievably I mean, postmodern. But it was incredible. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. It, it was, was... You were just was, so in it. I... I I just feel like it was one of those magical situations when an audience is really wishing you well. Yeah. Like there's there's kind of this energy of I just want everyone felt really present. Yeah. Because I I came on and I said, 
like I I don't really know what to do, so I'm just going to do it. And everyone was there, and it was it was amazing. It, it was, was so great, and you must best. have felt like so just like vibrating with with energy doing it that you were like thinking on the fly, how am I going to do this next bit? Like, yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah. You it was on like your voice is incredible at the best of times, um, but hearing you in that moment just being like just singing your heart out in this cave it was so magical i'll never forget it it was mad it was brilliant it was mad my my cousin was there as well and he said you should get all the email addresses of everyone who was there and do like a reunion yes (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah we had one survivors yeah we had one of those this last fringe when our uh the last show we did was heavily reliant on projection and the projector didn't work I performed um, Edge of 17 and it had crucial facts about the Trump administration, but they didn't come up. So I just looked like there was one fact that I had about um, witchcraft in Ghana, which stayed up for the whole thing. So it just looked like I had a real problem with Ghana. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which anyone who knows Holly knows she really doesn't. I really, I'm absolutely fine with Ghana. It was just like... One of the biggest fans. Yeah. And it was, it's a long song. It's a long song, Edge 17. Yeah. Um, Good five minutes, easily. Good five minutes. And then the technician decided the best thing to do when he got it working was to play it all again. So I had to do it twice. That's about 15 (laughs) minutes of Edge of 17. Um, (laughs) You'd done one (laughs) acapella version as well. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, in Edinburgh. It'd be like that thing The National did or whatever, but you just do Edge of 17 over and over Uh. again for an hour and on the assumption that at some point it's going to like change the meaning somehow. (laughs) Uh, Gertrude Stein does Stevie uh, Nicks. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> now that's a collaboration I think we'd all like to see. There you go. Oh. Something to think about for future guests. There you go. On your <laughs> historical diva. Historical Gertrude collaboration. Gertrude Stein in the studio with Hollywood Mac. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, thank you so much. That was wonderful. So we're, we're building up to a break, but I think we're just going to clarify Margaret's routine before we do. So... Mm-hmm. 9am, she has breakfast in bed, followed by two hours in bed, listening to the radio, reading the newspapers, which she invariably left scattered over the floor, and chain smoking. (laughs) (laughs) 11am, she gets into a bath, run for her by her lady's maid. Noon, an hour in the bath, (laughs) is followed followed by hair and makeup at her dressing table. Then she puts on clean clothes, as one would imagine of a princess, she never wore any of her clothes more than once without having them cleaned. 12.30pm, she appears downstairs for a vodka pick-me-up. <laughs> 1pm, she joins the Queen Mother for a four-course lunch served in an informal manner from silver dishes with half a bottle of wine per person, plus fruit and half a dozen different varieties of native and continental cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll just whiz up a quick V&T and then we'll be back with some more horrifying tales of hereditary privilege. Yeah! Hey, off we go. Let's take a break. <laughs> We're back. So it's fair to say that us three are a bunch of rabid reds. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why are we talking about Margaret? Why are we talking about her? Let's discuss. <laughs> <laughs> why do people like us who are socialist and probably anti-royalist to the point of uh, you're, a, you're well in favour of getting rid of them, aren't you? Yeah, first against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all a little bit like, oh, but Margaret, though. 
Robert <laughs> Margaret. Yeah. And even then, I feel like I sh- like before all of this, there was there was a big part of me that was like, do you know what? I would so much rather send the Queen as a diplomat than yeah. anyone we've got in the government right now. Sure. Yeah. So there was there was an element to me of like statesmanship. Yes. Yes. And experience and, and knowledge of what they're doing. Mm. Yeah. And I remember having I did I did a disastrous show in Croydon once where like two people came and one of them was a tour guide in London and we ended up getting a bit pissed and talking about talking about the royals afterwards and she said I mean without them I wouldn't have a job and there was a big part of me that then like you walk a mile around Buckingham Palace and you look at all the shops and the small businesses and think would they survive so even then as a socialist I was like oh man like what a dent this would leave yeah well no because it doesn't that industry doesn't rely on them being alive well, I think arguably, I think it is. A She'd draw. still have a job. This, London still has history. We should talk about what used to happen. Yeah, Bucking, they wouldn't burn. <laughs> they wouldn't burn Buckingham Palace down because they're like, well, they're all dead now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are allowed in it, aren't you? But not very often. Is that the? That she the... doesn't even live there. She doesn't live there. No, my dad is a massive lefty, obviously, and was class like famously anti-royal and then did a program about her for the jubilee mm. and the the one with brian may on the roof that one years ago and he met her oh. he met the queen and he's met like a lot of the people who he is violently opposed to he's like he interviewed margaret thatcher jimmy savile jimmy savile um, <laughs> but about the queen he his takeaway was it like she's doing a job that shouldn't exist but she's doing it incredibly well yeah um I'd agree with that. Yeah, and she's gracious, I think, and she um, does what she can to make people's lives easier who are dependent on her in some ways. Like, when he was shooting this documentary, she was like, she was like, there's protocol to go through, but, like, I could tell she was trying to make my life easy, and she was polite and kind, unlike Margaret. And yet... (laughs) Yeah, that's the one. (laughs) And yet she's the one. Famously badly behaved. (laughs) I mean, fundamentally, like, I'm I'm not a eugenicist. I do not think one family or one strain of genes makes anyone better than anyone else. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, she did. I cannot <laughs> fathom my own obsession with Margaret. Yeah. Mm. Other um, than, fuck it, that's a life I wish I had. <laughs> she was like, just... You, you did just described her morning routine. I was like... If I could do that every day, would the question is, would I be happy? Well, or would I would I just enjoy that as like a holiday? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that was your life, I think we all wish that we could do that. And then if that was actually our actual lifestyle, well, I think that would be hollow and useless. Mm. Exactly. Which is no that era of tragedy that you were talking about, especially yeah. towards the end of her life, which obviously we'll get to in due course. But I think no one has ever in this in in recent history been so made for royalty like her personality oh yeah like they used to be yeah she she yeah. is like marie antoinette she is that old henry the eighth Scott henry the eighth yeah she totally believes in the divine right of kings I, I, I assumed she did absolutely and was completely fixated on her own status totally and like wouldn't let anybody wouldn't let protocol totally. slip for a moment i mean also she's a leo and sure. Leo was ruled by the sun, and wasn't ah. it Louis the Sixth who was the Sun King? 
Ah, okay. Or the 16th or something like yeah, that. Yeah, one of one them, of them yeah. The, the Sun King. Well, there'll be an interesting... Lot, you know. Yeah, and horoscopes, yeah. obviously part of the Margaret story, which we'll get to. Very much. Uh, but yeah, I think the thing with Margaret is that she is um, a, a renegade within a, a strict system. So mm-hmm. obviously camp people are like, yes, she fucks shit up. Um, yeah. Her aesthetic was camp and extravagant. Mm-hmm. Her lifestyle also, was camp, excessive. was excessive. Ex- yeah. It's got all the well, makings. She, she married an artist. Yeah. Like she married this bohemian photographer who, you know, you could say also came from a life of privilege. Yeah. But I think she was really drawn to the arts and creativity. Yeah. And maybe understood its value as an outlet. Yes. Better than... Well, I, I don't want to say better than most, but I, I think... Well, A, if you have time and money on your hands, then if you're not investing in the arts, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And she was no um, no creator herself, but she did. She had a bit of a kind of, she'd, she'd do a turn every so often, apparently, wouldn't she? And she you know, didn't have a great voice, but didn't stop her trying. And things yeah. like that. <laughs> I'm probably going to talk about her. And what I'm actually doing is talking about the crown. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's, I mean, obviously the version of her in the crown is unremittingly fabulous. Yeah. I think they, they smooth off a lot of the really unpleasant edges with her. Um, yeah, they do. Uh, particularly, I mean, the Vanessa Kirby version is just, like, I want to eat her. She's so wonderful. <laughs> she's so all quite many- pleasant as well, wasn't she? Yeah. She's oh, the, just, so many great moments in relationship to music. Yes, and smoking. It, yeah, <laughs> when she's singing with her... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's get into the discussion. As we said, she's camp, she's fabulous, we live. She absolutely adored to abuse her royal privilege and to be a complete cunt uh, by regularly both (laughs) arriving and leaving late. So take this little anecdote from Nancy Mitford's recollection of a stay that they shared with Margaret at a friend's country house. Dinner was at 8.30, and at 8.30, Princess Margaret's hairdresser arrived. So we waited for hours while he concocted a ghastly coiffeur. Uh, she looked like a huge ball of fur on two well-developed legs. <laughs> Nancy! Absolutely, Nancy. <laughs> Come through, Nancy. well-developed. <laughs> the next day, her bad behaviour continued when she begged off a planned excursion, claiming a cold only to spend the day in fittings with the House of Dior. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. The excursion <laughs> sounded so lame as well. She'd been like, I love as well that like a Mitford. Yes. Yeah. She's a bit spoiled. Yeah. A Mitford <laughs> is telling you you're extra and a bit spoiled. You know, yeah, you've potentially gone over the line. <laughs> you've gone too far. Too you've far. gone far too far. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. We should definitely cover Nancy Mitford. Oh, yeah, 100%. Maybe not Unity. <laughs> Who was the one who was... Or Diana. Or Diana, yeah. We'll leave the fascists out of it. We'll leave the fascists. (laughs) Wait, oh, was it... Isn't Unity's middle name like Valkyrie or something? Something like that, yeah. Unity Valkyrie Mitford. She was was apparently conceived in a little town in in Canada called Swastika. Jesus. (laughs) Writing was literally on the wall. There are some very strange... serendipitous connection I mean that is literal nominative yeah (laughs) (laughs) nominative determinism was like hold my drink (laughs) unity valkyrie come through (laughs) 
<laughs> so Brian Sewell remembers another stay with a friend at a, in a country house where Margaret took advantage of protocol because no one could leave before her. So the princess arrived an hour before midnight for a ruined dinner scheduled for eight. By then, the servants from the village had gone home to bed and the rest of us, some half dozen, absolutely plastered, had to buckle too and carry and carve the baked meats of sacrifice. She then kept us up until four in the morning, kippering us with her cigarettes. Long after the crack of dawn, with not a sniff of coffee nor a sign of a servant of the kitchen to clear the mess from the night, I wandered into the village, called a friend and arranged a late morning death and doomsday telephone message requiring my immediate return home. <laughs> What does it mean to kipper someone with cigarettes? I think it just means like <laughs> continually ply you with them. Or like smoke you, I guess, like in a smoke, oh, like kip- a smokehouse kipper. Of course, <laughs> she smoked oh. as. Oh, I mean, I did read today that she was a heavy smoker from the age of fifteen. <laughs> <gasps> I mean, there's one thing smoking from fifteen, being a heavy like smoker a from fifteen. Girl, just... <laughs> oh God! Can you imagine? She was a terrible guest. I think it's fair to say. Absolutely terrible. Apparently on that one particular one, uh, insulting the food, the hostess, anything really. Um, There was an incident at a dinner party where she attended with the French ambassador uh, who made the unfortunate error of getting a tiny splatter of sauce on her gown and she made him wipe it off and then remarked that she hadn't liked the sauce on her plate, let alone her dress. (laughs) She... (laughs) She also only drank bottled Malvern water (laughs) and alcohol. All alcohol. I just, I feel like I wish she'd been a writer. Yes. Mm. I I wish she was our Dorothy Parker. Yes. Mm. I just think, I mean, she maybe would have spent too much time pissing everyone off. Yeah. But my God, she'd have a story. She wouldn't have been like Isherwood, would she? She wouldn't be a camera. No, she would be the focus of the camera. She'd be, yeah. yeah. I just love the the... The, the petty little restrictions that she put on on the world around her, be like, I only drink Malvern wa- water, and yet I drink so much, <laughs> and I smoke. Don't touch the water. I literally, I, I want the water to be there. I won't be touching it. I want clean water, <laughs> but I'll have all the poison, please. Yeah, the poison is fine. Also, just being a bad. I mean, Kat, you are a fabulous guest. What do you think about this behaviour? Your head only. Which is what we've got. You're being a fabulous guest. I mean, I mean. I really hate it when someone doesn't read the room yeah. and let people go to bed. I like if I feel like I'm being kept somewhere, I get physically upset. Yeah, as me in, too. I'm, I will probably cry. <laughs> like <laughs> I just I hate that kind of restriction. Yeah, but so I'm hardwired to be really polite. Yeah, mm. so I I know for a fact that I would enjoy her company for about an hour and then think... You've got to leave. You must leave. You know, one of the few people who ever broke that protocol was George Harrison. Um, Really? Yeah. They were at a... um, She came to a screening, I think, of A Hard Day's Night and... My favourite film. Is it? I've never actually seen it. I saw you say that on Twitter the other day, yeah. That's a great choice for a favourite film. Yeah, oh, really? I, I really must. I'll watch it in quarry. I've got lots of time. Um, so you haven't seen it? No, no, isn't it? Oh, it's amazing. Oh, I'd love to watch it. It's, it's she, bonkers. It makes no sense. Is it? Yeah, it's absolute <laughs> lunacy. Amazing. It's quite camp. Is it improv? It's so camp. Yeah. Um, it was written by. They, they chose the writer because he apparently had written a film that had a lot of great 
colloquial Liverpool dialogue. Right. So they thought he'll understand, he'll write for our voices. Yeah. And it, 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 there are so many moments that are abstract comedy, and then there's a lot of satire about being famous. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Great. It's great. And they all have their own little personality niches, and they're, they're all hilarious. <laughs> I watched it about a week ago, and I laughed so much, and I forgot how funny it was. Oh, my God. How does it stand up next to Spice World? Oh, infinitely. Oh, inferior. I mean... <laughs> Doesn't have Richard I E. Grant mean, in it. I mean, it doesn't have Richard E. Grant. So Margaret went to this screening, an early screening of it, and the, like the Beatles are obviously at the zenith of their power in some ways, and and she is at the zenith of hers because she doesn't really have any, and they're <laughs> they're hungry, and George is like, what's I don't why can't we go? <laughs> I'm really hungry, and and I I, I assume um, Epstein or someone was like mm, because this is protocol, and he just went up to him and went, look love I'm really hungry, can we can't go until you do, and and she's would like you oh mind? yeah would you mind <laughs> fucking off basically, and she did because <laughs> because no one I had mean, ever said it. George, she knew. I mean she like, knew, but. <laughs> George has the purest, most gentle energy. Mm. I feel like if, if mm. John had said it, there would have been hell to pay. Yeah, exactly. Well, if John had said it, it would have been one of the greatest logical. anecdotes of all time. Yeah. It would have been like a, a set to of wits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they just would have been going at it and that would have been like one of the most famous like pop culture events ever. Whereas if George did I, that's probably why she fucked off. Yeah, you're right. Because he probably came up and was like, Excuse me, do you mind if you just leave? leave? I'm really, really well, hungry. Yeah. I need to get a sandwich or something. Yeah. Like, it would just be like so lovely about it. But she yeah. would have been like, oh, you're sweet. Okay, bye. Yeah. Well, there's another anecdote. I am lifting this pure, like literally from Craig Brown's amazing mom, darling, which I, you know, is seminal reading for, for Margaret. But there's another incident with George Harrison much later when um, Patty Harrison got um, done on a dope charge. And George was like, <sighs> we're going to a party later, uh, Princess Margaret says. Shall I ask her if she can do anything to help? <laughs> so he was like, so uh, my wife's been uh, set up, basically. She'd been, the dope had been planted on her. Can you help? And she was like, ew, no, and left. So it's like twice <laughs> George Harrison made her leave a party. <laughs> <laughs> Which she's very unwilling to do under any other circumstances. That's a great record. If you're ever invited to Princess Margaret's, you take George Harrison. Exactly. Mm. Like, clearly, he's her kryptonite. <laughs> Can't resist George Harrison. Like, this lovely, lovely Liverpudlian working class musician. Yeah. You just bring him along, and she's like, oh, no. Oh, God. I'm melting. <laughs> he's incredibly cool, but also very nice. <laughs> oh, no. What to do? What to do? Oh, so Tom, you're going to give us a, a little recap of The Crown season one. So Edward VIII abdicates to marry two-time divorcee Wallace Simpson, meaning that his younger brother, Margaret and Elizabeth's dad, uh, had to become king. According to The Crown, his immediate family believed that becoming king ruined his life and led to his early death. And it also meant that Margaret and Elizabeth leapt from being third and fourth in line to the throne to first and second. But a few facts about the girls before the abdication. So, uh, Princess Margaret was born on the 21st of August, 1930, in Glam's Castle, Scotland. Uh, The family seat on her mother's side. Uh, You know, because Elizabeth Angela Marguerite Bowes-Leon was a commoner. (laughs) A descendant of the Dukes of Portland with her castle. Because... She were common. So rough. So rough. (laughs) Rough as a bear's ass, wasn't she? Absolutely. (laughs) So Bertie and Elizabeth had hoped to call her Anne, 
The name was vetoed by her grandfather, King George V, so they instead opted for the name Margaret Rose, which was later affectionately shortened to Margot by those close to her. According to The Independent, the registration of Margaret's birth was delayed for several days to avoid her being number 13 in the parish register. Get out! Yeah. I mean, the fact that she was born in Scotland and she had her 21st birthday at Balmoral, so maybe there was a little... She was trying to get to you. Little feisty laugh in there somewhere. Absolutely. So the editor of the Sunday Express came up with the idea to ask, um, how do I pronounce this? Is this Chiero or Chiro? I'm going to say it's Chiro. <laughs> coochie coochie. <laughs> I'm sorry. So Charo, a famous astrologer and palmist during that time. Uh, now I can't stress this enough. <laughs> <laughs> Had him, his, her name? Chiro. Cairo. 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 It's, it's spelled C H E I R O. Not Charo. Not, crucially, not Charo. <laughs> Uh, so they asked him to make a prediction about what might unfold during the newborn princess's life. So Gordon reached out to <laughs> Cairo, not again, not Charo, uh, whose real name was William John Warner, but he was busy, and instead the assignment was taken on by Cairo's uh, assistant, a man named R. H. Naylor. So the piece predicted that Naylor, <laughs> I barely even know her. The piece predicted that Margaret would have an, quote, eventful life, if you count wandering around stately homes being a cunt eventful. (laughs) Uh, It was a big hit, and that's why most papers feature horoscopes. Bam. That is why they feature them. This is probably Margaret's most significant cultural contribution. Yeah, she she basically, her birth popularised horoscopes in the papers. Which I am most grateful for, but also... (laughs) What I would, what I do want to say about the crown is that I, I read, or maybe I watch a lot of junkets on YouTube. Yeah. Like junkets for TV and film are my absolute favourite. Like panels and things. Yeah, where an interviewer is, is asking them questions and they've got the backdrop of the thing behind oh, them and they're right. in a hotel room and they're probably really bored and sad. <laughs> but um... <laughs> definitely are. So I, I, most of them to I go watched by. one and I, I can't remember who was talking about it, but they said. Um, was it Nina Gold that okay. cast the crown? Probably. Yes, it was, yeah. Wow. Well, I you? think it might have been the director who was saying she managed to find two actresses to play Margaret that had identical energies. Apparently, both Vanessa Kirby and Helena Bonham Carter send the same style of text, which is just chaotic. <laughs> no way. And also, <laughs> what, I, what I love about um, Helena Bonham Carter as well is that she went to a medium yes. to try and contact Margaret's ghost. <laughs> To ask for her blessing to play the part. What? And I just think yeah. that is the most Margaret thing. It's proper Margaret. And yet didn't so do any research. I'm like, Helena, Which stop Margaret wouldn't talking have done. to Mystic Meg and look at a video of her. <laughs> like, but that's Margaret. Yeah. If you'd asked Margaret to play the part of herself, she would have gone and contacted a spirit medium to contact herself <laughs> and then done no research as to her life. I feel like Helena Bonham Carter playing Princess Margaret tells me more about Helena Bonham Carter than it does yeah. about Princess Margaret. Yeah, exactly. And then when you find out that they basically share DNA, it's, yeah. that it's everything you need to know about Margaret. Uh, and apparently Vanessa Kirby. That's mad. That's incredible. Well, yeah, I believe in that. I think energy is an interesting thing to think about, isn't it, with casting? Like, you don't necessarily have to be, especially in a world where we're, like, not as 
Trevor Nunn about casting where people yeah. can look different to the actual person actually you know energy could be something is it's a feel of a person isn't yeah. it is your take on a person I will say yeah. though it was remarkable that Helena Bonham Carter's version of Princess Margaret was Helena Bonham Carter yeah <laughs> more or less fair enough yeah Okay, so Margaret and Elizabeth enjoyed a relatively ordinary early life, uh, considering their incredible undeserved wealth and privilege. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going to talk about Mar- uh, a woman called Marion Crawford, or Crawford. Yay! Yeah. Have you, have you heard, have you done some research into Crawford? I have, but also what I wanted to say was, um, she, Margaret didn't make any public appearances till she was about four. Yeah. And there was a rumour that circulated that she was deaf and mute. Yes. And she proved that very wrong. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but they all, like, they found that hilarious and they start for, like, apparently the rumour is that she's stupid and, and deaf and dumb. It's like, no, yeah. she's a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's four years old and we're keeping her out of the limelight because she'll offend everyone. dick. <laughs> so... <laughs> Crawford worked for them for 17 years as a governess. And I'm sorry, 17 years. From Ayrshire? It's too old to have a governess. Liesl's taught me that. Yeah. Is she from yeah. Ayrshire, is she? She is from Ayrshire. Oh. And she was born on the 5th of June, 1909, which makes her a Gemini like me. Oh. Oh, well, she did have two faces, if you yeah. ask, ask the royal family. Uh, but Crawford tried to leave her position a few times to marry her fiancé, but Queen Alexandra would not let her uh, because... Tories. Uh, so she then wrote a memoir <laughs> against the express wishes of notable succubus, the Queen Mother. And no one from the royal family ever spoke to her again or sent ever. any reeds for her funeral. <laughs> Little fun sidebar for everyone there. Just to keep things in perspective. Poor Crawford gave 17 years of her life to the little princesses and thought, you know what, I will write that book. And yeah. that was <laughs> in it. In the absence of a loving family of my own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? I think I will marry my fiance. It's been it's been a few years. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thwarted love is a big theme here. It really well, is. exactly. Yeah, a good point, actually. Like you know, do unto others, guys. Yeah. I think it's mainly because as well because they have nothing else to do. So essentially, their lives are telenovela. Because it's yeah. just well, rich yeah, people sat around talking about their relationships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in Crawford's memoir, the one that got her excommunicated, she said that of the girls, neither was above taking a whack at her adversary if roused. Lilibet was quick with her left hook. Margaret was more of a close-in fighter, known to bite on occasions. <laughs> Hence why she wasn't allowed out until four. I knew she would be. Knew she she would looks be. like a biter, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> There's always that one little shit who's a biter. There's a biter, a Play-Doh eater, and a proto-masturbator. Yeah. And a snitch. There's always a snitch in every primary school class. And then one right little twat who's always keen to enforce protocol, i.e. Margaret. Um, she was like a mixture of all of them, I reckon. Because yeah. there was only two of them in the primary school class, I guess. Yeah. She was like, I'll take all of these on, Lilibet. You just she was everything else. Elizabeth yeah. was just the nerd. Swinging right hooks in the corner. <laughs> Muscular oh, baby. Oh, I love you. <laughs> like... Put him up, put him up. Jimmy Cagney. Like a strong man. <laughs> With a Margaret Nashina. <laughs> Just holding her head while she's like. <laughs> Game that is there a plastic game with two boxers? Oh, yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah, rock'em sock'em. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they punch each that, other. That's Elizabeth. 
Margaret's jumping on her back and biting her neck. <laughs> Poor Crofy's like, oh, I dream of having a life. <laughs> no. Meanwhile, like the scene from Die Hard is playing out. It's one of them swinging the other one into the walls. <laughs> One thing I think we might have glossed over is like they were they were first and second in line to the throne. Jesus. And that if you think about the way I don't know, that you were kids, like like Margaret was six. That's crazy. That's you your whole life. Yeah. yeah. And also they're in a world where they would never have been in that position. You know, the abdication absolutely like changed so Margaret might well have thought it's probably gonna be my gig at some point. Yeah, and either that or I'll end up like Princess Michael of Kent. Yeah, <laughs> absolute boss. Yeah. <laughs> Who is she? <laughs> Who is she? <laughs> uh, this might be a good point to chat about the way that the two sisters were often conceived as as opposites. They're always thought of in those terms. Um, Holly, do you want to repurpose some material from an old show? Yeah, um, I <laughs> I feel like Margaret and Elizabeth are a classic example of the madonna whore complex yes. uh, and for those of you who did not see my uh second fringe show holly morgan madonna or Triumphant whore, second show, oh please. thank you acclaimed. darling acclaimed uh basically freud had this theory that um all men either want to group women into categories ones they want to fuck straight men that is and women who remind them of their mums who they kind of like canonize and I feel like that's what a nation and a world have done with those two sisters. It's like Margaret's yeah. the sexy one and Elizabeth is the good one who is an angel and is untouchable. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's no deviation from the script there, really. Um, yeah. So that, that's my armchair theory. Um, but Phil and Liz... Well, but but I, I agree with you and I feel like you, anyone yeah. who's watched The Crown will see it as that. I mean, yes. I, know, I know I don't want this to turn into The Crown fan account, <laughs> even though that's most of my Twitter is anyway. <laughs> uh, I loved, loved how that particular show made that dynamic work in those terms. Yeah, absolutely. And also I feel like what I also really thought when I was thinking about what I wanted to say about Margaret, so much of what I wanted to say revolved around the press. Mm. And I feel like the press, would look at it in those terms. Like yeah. the sovereign has to be those things. Absolutely. So then it makes sense if she's got a sister for then the sister to be the evil sister. Yeah. And, you know, any rebellion, regardless of, you know, psychological damage because of that difference. Yeah. It's, you know, she, I, I read today that, you know, Labour MPs in the 70s called her a parasite and a floozy and you know, all of these things that we would look at the way we talk about women today and say, well, that's unacceptable. Yeah. But it was acceptable to say it about Margaret because she's not the queen. That's so interesting. So they just l- latched on to the opportunity to talk, like, bring her into a wider gender discourse about how they want women yeah. to behave. And really, really gendered. And, yeah. and I, I think you can be critical of the need of a royal family, but also very vehemently opposed to the way we talk about women yeah. in the press. Yeah, I agree actually. That's really interesting. That's a really interesting point to keep our yeah. keep our eye on, I think, as it does. And it's it's a trend and it's yeah. a trend of women in the royal family who do things a bit differently. Or yeah. who aren't who don't fit to the mould that the Queen currently fits. And that is, you know, the quintessential 
good English woman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, the way that Meghan Markle's been treated is um, the added layer is obviously racial prejudice. Um, yeah. But yeah, you have Diana in the middle of that as well. Um, that, yeah, what a woman, self-determinism within the royal families and, yeah. and being a woman. There's just, it, yeah, you have to, if you don't stick to the script, yeah. you, you get, and bashing from the press mm. and in a way you've got Anne in the mix as well but yeah. what's so remarkable about Princess Anne is that she would turn she's she has essentially turned around and said I'm not standing for that shit yeah and and the press have kind of backed off a bit yeah and Anne is um skilled a bit more level-headed and yeah sensible. <laughs> yeah and has her own shit going on I mean I'm not, I'm not casting shade on Meghan Markle there but like it's like I actually think she's quite a good actress but Anne is like an Olympian isn't she yeah um yeah. like she doesn't fucking need those guys and obviously yeah. neither does Meghan Markle um it also doesn't buy into it in the same way yeah and probably received as much attention because she doesn't seek it yeah yeah I agree whereas I think I think maybe Margaret had this kind of attention seeking but also highly self-sabotaging need mm. to be yeah. seen and to be loved and to be adored yeah that probably brought all of that in as well yeah definitely but also yeah what we were saying about Meghan Markle she did not invite any of this and her only crime is to be a successful black woman as we were saying yeah. at the top of the show yeah yeah as you say like we don't have uh, an ideological attachment to the monarchy and our ideas on class are not those that <laughs> go with a royal family um, yeah. but there are some humans in the mix here mm. and even when they don't behave in a very humane way <laughs> no. as well that doesn't mean that they are necessarily like to be we shouldn't descend to the same level as the as the gutter press yeah. um so phil and liz get hitched in 47 and no one really cares about margaret for a bit but her marriage and then townsend townsend <sighs> So, group captain Peter Townsend was George the Sixth equerry. I don't know. Is that something with horses? I haven't Googled mm. it. She didn't do a day's work in her life, so I'm not going to either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> horseman? He's a George, George the Sixth horse guy. Townsend first met Margaret when she was 15. Uh, group captain Peter Townsend died, was 16 heavily. Maybe that's under. why. Yeah, saw her through the haze of smoke. It was like, <laughs> hello, little girl. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Which he obviously thought because he had two children uh, with his wife, Rosemary Paul Paul? I think. Paul. Oh, that's an L. Her indoors. <laughs> Her indoors, yeah. And was considered, at least by royal standards, a commoner uh, on a modest income. But then the Queen Mum was a commoner and she had a fucking castle. <laughs> so. So there you go. There you have it. So Margaret's relationship with Townsend, we frequently refer to it as an affair, but it's not clear when the, they started the romance because uh, Townsend divorced in 1952 after Rosemary had an affair and some sources suggest he didn't become close to Margaret until after the death of her father, King George VI, on 6th of February 1952. So Townsend, let's mm. discuss. Obviously, this is the tragedy that, of her life. It is yeah. how it's often positioned that she was yeah. not allowed to marry him. Do yeah. you have a hot take? I don't. And again, I can only really base my opinion on the mythologized versions mm. of these events that I have digested. Um, 
voraciously. Uh, but they were so I, at the I, time I, as well. Like yeah. it, it was, it was this romance has always been fodder in the common in the in the public eye. Yeah, always because of this. And the only, I mean, the only real scandal of it was the whole divorce, the attitude to divorce. Yeah, which is archaic at best. Yeah, it's just the most bonkers belief that. And again, this goes back to you know Wallace. Whatever you think yeah. about Wallace. To be a to be divorced is like was apparently so hideous yeah. as a concept to crown and country and church, and I just think any relationship that is thwarted in that way, especially, and I think what's particularly painful about Margaret was that she was asked to wait a year before the decision was made. Yeah, so mm. that's a whole year being hopeful and thinking I'm gonna get this wonderful happy ever after and yeah. then to not and then there's that photograph of her being driven away in the back of the car and yeah. she's so stiff upper lip yeah and it's like it's like a scene from a film it's like yeah. a scene from a film where they're going to go and close the door and have a mental breakdown yeah. and we you know i just i i that kind of Love story is in so many songs that I have sung in my life. Yeah, that I I just have a a cellular relationship to it, where I just think, yeah, this is one of life's greatest tragedies: is yeah. to not be with the person you love and to not be with the person you probably should be with. Yeah, and I I wonder with with someone like her who then went on to have, I think it's safe to say, a disastrous love life. Mm. <laughs> what her life could have looked like yeah if if she had been allowed and then how bonkers is it that you have to be allowed to do these things by it's your just, sister there's a lot of human rights <laughs> yeah you know human rights what's the word i've had too much violations. violations yeah violations yeah but like by your sister as well which is like Sibling. every sibling's nightmare come true yeah isn't it? the idea that your sister gets to stop you doing that. After that like yeah it's crazy. I mean, like, for, so for those of you who don't, like, know the story as intimately, basically, she was spotted picking a bit of lint off his um, jacket at the... At co- Elizabeth's coronation. At the coronation, yeah. And then the, the, the apparently the the foreign press were like, hey, up. And then there was an embargo and we weren't allowed to talk about it. And then it went fucking mad. Skyroll. Um, Skyroll, yeah. And a like, large part of that is because Liz is the head of the Church of England, which literally only exists because of a divorce. Um so but for some reason we we have to enforce this rule that you can't marry a divorcee and so Liz is only like recently queen right so she's like don't fuck this for me pegs you need my permission let's send him off for two years and if you still like him then you can marry him when you're 25 and you don't need my permission and the country is obsessed with this I mean, yeah. literally everyone has an opinion about it. It's proper Mexit shit. Uh, except it's not overwhelmingly racist mm. um, due to the people involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the Crown seems to play the sort of star-crossed lovers ripped apart by Liz's obsession with her stupid metal hat. <laughs> that's the sort of vibe that the Crown was going for, yeah. wasn't it? And that's obviously helped by the fact that Ben Miles is a legit snack uh, and Vanessa Kirby's an icon. And I want to peel some shit back a little bit. Yeah. Because... Right. He's a daddy, we're totally. He's a daddy, absolutely. <laughs> but he, she's 15 when they first meet. Yeah. And. There's a bit of a Celine situation. There's a Celine situation here. 
I'm not, I don't want to call grooming, but I'm gonna. Um, because like, okay, so while in exile from Margaret, Townsend mm-hmm. meets a young French show jumper called Marie-Luce Charmaine when she mm-hmm. literally falls at his feet, which he did like romantically describes in his autobiography. But, He's a daddy. And what he doesn't mention is that Margaret's 14 when that happens. Um, Margaret Louis, sorry, Marie-Luce Germain, not Margaret. They, but they look remarkably similar as well. So, like, while he's exiled from Margaret, he basically meets the woman he's going to marry, who's also a child. Bearing in mind, he's estranged at that point from the other woman who was 15 when he... Yeah. Met. I mean, in his defence, they were all smoking from the age of 10, so you couldn't <laughs> tell how old they were. That's true. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> she looked like Liz now. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, there's maybe the Queen was also a little bit like, babe, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think he's got mm. some vibes here that we're not, that aren't massively fine. Mm-hmm. I know. And, you know, vibes are a big deal. Yeah. Maybe her sister got a genuine vibe being like, I don't think he's right for you. Do you know what? Liz is a Taurus. <laughs> I feel like she was very grounded. Yeah. Yeah. Is, you know. Maybe she's she's maybe she had the right idea. Yeah, I'll go with that. We all, I mean, we all love a romance, so maybe we get carried away. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So Townsend trots back after the two-year separation, and the government make it clear to Margaret uh, that she would lose her title, her income, and be forced to leave England for five years should she marry him. <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Like you're going to be exiled from your country. It's also very. It's incredibly specific, but also I don't know where they've plucked that number from. <laughs> five years. No. You will it's have to go for five years. It's quite clear, isn't it? It's like an arbitrary thing I've decided. Yeah, five. Let, five should we go with five? Yeah, call it five. Five years. <laughs> yeah. Don't come back for five years. Yeah. If um, someone was to revoke your right to uh, not start start the party till you walked in, yeah. I don't know if you'd take it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like fuck that. Uh, Margaret issued a statement about it written in pencil for her by Group Captain Townsend announcing that the relationship was over. She said, I would like it to be known that I have decided not to marry Group Captain Peter Townsend, mindful of the church's teaching that Christian marriage is indissoluble and conscious of my duty to the Commonwealth, I have resolved to put these considerations before any others. Crazy. Considering that the heir to the throne now is married to a woman who's been divorced and yeah. Margaret issued that statement last century. It's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. And uh, some sources report that they were both pretty relieved, which is obviously the less romantic version. Craig, the Craig Brown book has an account where Margaret's just like, yeah, two years is a long time. Like, it was kind of... <laughs> I'd moved on. <laughs> I'd moved on. <laughs> I got over my weird sort of daddy complex thing. And he'd moved on because that 14-year-old show jumper. Belgian yeah, lovely really soon after. You, yeah, I think it was within a couple of years um, uh, that he married. Wasn't it that he, he announced his engagement the day before she announced her engagement? Yes. <gasps> it was very close. So she was it absolutely was fucking close. livid. Livid. That's why she announced the engagement to Anthony Armstrong Jones, who'd been, not been on the hook. She'd been under the impression, basically, that they were going to be, they could have lovers, but neither of them would marry anyone else. <laughs> and then a year after the breakup of the relationship, Townsend marries Marie Luce. And that's when Margaret's like, right, 
I'm going to marry Anthony Armstrong Jones. How diva is that, though? That's oh, so it's diva. Absolutely like, diva. I'm going to upstage this. In, <laughs> I mean, I feel like a diva is always thinking of an upstaging moment. Yeah, exactly. Mm. She's like, oh, marry a child, will you? Well, I'll marry <laughs> this photographer. <laughs> This common photographer who went to Eton. <laughs> My bit of rough. Who hmm. looks a bit like a very thin walnut. <laughs> he does. With an overbite. With an overbite. An overbite. A walnut with an overbite. Too many teeth. <laughs> okay. So, we leave it there for this week with the marriage to Anthony Armstrong Jones. Not exactly a cliffhanger, but... Well, yeah, exactly. Guess <laughs> join in next week and find out that she did get married. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we've got far too much to say. This needs to be a two-parter. However, Kat, my darling, can you tell the good listeners about your very exciting plan for isolation? Yeah, well, this would be plugs and hugs. Yeah. Um, and I have a date in London in the diary for the 17th of May, but I am yet... Uh, to hear if that is going ahead. Yeah. Um, so in the meantime, what I set up as something of a of an isolation pick me up is an online drama club. Yeah. Where I am just I've got a group on Facebook where drama people who love drama and theatre and stuff yeah, can yeah. come. And I what we what we are going to do is uh, have virtual table reads of free plays I can find online so everyone can participate. Um, We had a great first reading last night of uh, Who Done It Um, (gasps) that was am drama as fuck and absolutely glorious. I love it. So um, I'm still figuring out whether to host it on Skype or Zoom Mm -hmm. or whatever suits everybody and to get as many people involved as possible. Incredible. Um, And so if you just go on Facebook or if you call, if you if you look up Catled on Facebook, I will add you to the group. Um, I think it's private at the moment, but I'll make it public. And it is just a little relief for yeah. people who want to either participate or watch people read a play they've never read before, and it's very good fun. Yeah. And silly accents are most welcome. Excellent. Thank Super. you for doing things. And this this is the way we need to keep upbeat about this horrific time we're all going through that Absolutely. we are finding new ways to do exciting things and it's it's so encouraging to to watch how our community uh, at this time the government by the way have not issued any um at this time of recording we haven't heard what's happening for self-employed people mm. um so just a note to say that these are the self-employed people who are um we we need we need support we need help and we need um to to keep our spirits up by keeping a community going and also yeah. the, those kind of ideas that people like Kat are coming up with to 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 make sure that we are still producing stuff and and, yeah. and people are still able to to get out there and, and do fun stuff and people can tune in and, and, and get that kind of stuff to them. Yeah. The, these are exciting things that we're coming up with novel ways to do stuff which might change the way that we do things in the future, which yeah. is really exciting. It's not necessarily totally. just the case of going, this is what we're doing now because it's what we have to do. But maybe yeah. amongst all of this, we might come up with some really exciting prospects for the future yeah. of um all sorts of entertainment yeah yeah I'm, I'm totally i'm totally up as well for people to um submit work that they would like to hear read great oh, wow yeah if, if i can get as many professional actors in the group as possible who would be up for doing a table read of a new piece of writing mm. then we've got an r&d yeah online so 
who knows what's going to happen with it so great so if you are if you are a writer or or someone that feels like they might be a writer or could be a writer yeah uh, and you've got something that you want to try out get in touch with cat yeah do it do it very very low pressure if you want to email me instead I'm catloud at outlook.com. So Perfect. just send me an email. Lovely Amazing. Stuff. And we will see you back here in two weeks for the second part of Margaret. Uh, but we'll be doing a little Diva Energy as well next week. So tune in to see uh, if I've eaten Tom. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to get in touch with us as usual, <laughs> you can email us at bigdivaenergypod at gmail.com. Uh, find us on Twitter at Diva Energy or Instagram at Big Diva Energy. We'll be creating some really superfluous content (laughs) very much home-based content Uh, or home-based content no No, we won't be allowed in there (laughs) just another one of the places we aren't allowed to go anymore (laughs) the after times thank you so much everyone okay then bye